And we're live. Welcome back, everybody, to a new episode of the Wheelie Podcast. I'm your host, Micah Toll, and I'm joined again this week by Electrex publisher Seth Weintraub. How's it going, Seth? I'm good. Awesome. And uh, we're actually pretty close to each other this time, believe it or not. We're like 30 miles apart because I'm in New York City. I'm just north in uh, Westchester, but commutable. Nice. So hopefully we have less of a satellite lag this time, yeah. uh, which is good because we have uh, a lot of interesting stories to cover. Just a quick rundown of some of the things we'll be looking at. Uh, Veo unveiled a new shared electric bike, but it has two seats. So you can fit two people on it. We reviewed the Walkie H6, which is perhaps the fastest and most massive folding e-bike I've ever tested. Um, I personally had one of my uh, very nice electric bikes stolen in the past week. So I wrote a post about all the mistakes I made and how I could have done a better job of protecting it. So hopefully it helps you guys. Um, we've also learned of a new electric bike motor that claims to have the highest power to weight ratio with 2,500 watts of power. Um, Harley Davidson is going to be reopening reservations for their second electric motorcycle, the Del Mar. Uh, speaking of electric motorcycles, we're also uh, hearing about Zero's DSRX, their new adventure electric bike. And we're going to finish it up with a uh, awesomely weird Alibaba electric vehicle of the week. But we'll wait till the end to let you know which one that is. So where are we starting today, Seth? Uh, so we're starting with cops on electric Harley Davidsons, but with a twist. Police department adopts Serial One e-bikes. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's common to see Harley Davidsons as police motorcycles. Uh, a little less common is to see police bikes, but even less common is to see Harley Davidson police bikes, as in bicycles. But uh, Serial One just partnered with their local police department in Wisconsin there, and now they've set them up with four police-issue Serial One electric bikes. And if you're not familiar with Serial One, they're the electric bicycle brand that Harley-Davidson spun out from their own internal bicycle development. And so they hooked them up with two different models, which are, are interesting different models. Uh, two of the um, Rush Speed models, which are very much a city bike. Is that the one that you tested out, Seth, a while ago? Yep. yep. So yeah, that's the uh, gets up to 28 miles an hour, uses a Broza motor. It's you know basically a, a nice urban commuter. Then the other two bikes that uh, the police department is using are the Bash Mountain bikes. And these are, um, despite the mountain name, they're, they're kind of more, they call them like an urban play bike in that they don't have suspension other than a suspension seat post. But they're designed to be, you know, super rugged and ride them downstairs, ride them up walls, that sort of thing. And so uh, across these two models, the uh, the police department should be pretty well equipped for for chasing down the bad guys, as long as the bad guys don't have an illegal electric bike that goes over <laughs> 28 miles per hour. Uh, um, yeah. That's, no, that's, sorry, that's, go on. So this is pretty cool. Uh, I have lots of questions. Like, first of all, like, is Harley going to expand this out to, you know, other is this kind of like a pilot project or is this just you know helping the locals out so they haven't made an announcement about expansions but i can't see them not being interested in expanding this because it makes so much sense harley davidson is basically the go-to motorcycle for police departments they already have such a strong fleet relationship that yeah. it just makes sense to you know transfer that over to their bicycle department especially with more police departments looking at expanding not just their bicycle fleets, but especially their electric bicycle fleets, because as we've seen before, a lot of municipalities have these quotas where they're trying to push um, you know, municipal departments to move towards electric vehicles. 
and electric bicycles, uh, as well as electric motorcycles, are a very easy and cost-effective way to increase the number of EVs in the fleet without, you know, buying crazy expensive Teslas or F-150 Lightning police trucks. Yeah. And so, you know, you think of Harleys and and motorcycle cops, you think kind of of chips in California because they have got the good weather and, uh, you know, because chips, but... Uh, how do they, are they going to use these in the winter time as well? I know, when, you know Milwaukee has some pretty, pretty good winners. Uh, do they have like spokes or uh, studs on the wheels or what's the plan there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I imagine they're going to outfit them with ice tires or, or snow tires. Um, both of these bikes use high quality components. Those uh, batteries were developed by Harley Davidson, the same department that developed the Harley Davidson live wire batteries. So, you know, they should be rated to down to like minus 20, which most good lithium batteries are. So in terms of the components, I don't see any, any winter issue, but like you said, it's going to be pretty important to outfit those bikes with the the right tires and the right gear to, to handle that cold as well as the uh, police officers as well. Make sure they got the right gloves on. Yeah. So uh, just, you know, I think I know, but maybe for the audience, Harley is three, names right now they're they're harley davidson for their old fashioned internal combustion motorcycles they're live wire for the electric motorcycles and serial one for the bikes but internally it's kind of the same company right or is that not right um they're all under the harley umbrella but serial one was technically spun off as its own startup that is it's either wholly owned or uh, Harley still has a majority share in it. So, okay. you know, it's still Harley, but it's a legal entity underneath Harley. And Livewire, um, you know, just like you said, it's it originally was Harley. You know, the, the first bike was the Harley Davidson Livewire, but then they spun it out also as a sort of sub brand. That one, I'm not sure it has the same legal distinction as a separate, um, you know, legal entity the way that that serial one has uh, i'm not i'm not sure about that it might just be that it's a sub brand that's still wholly under the harley davidson parent company but it's it's also sort of their electric only line of of motorcycles the way serial one is their bicycle only line cool well i th- think it's uh, i think you'll agree that it's going to be good to see a lot more of these e-bikes out on the patrol rather than uh, cops on segways or silly things like that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, new electric bike with two seats brings passenger travel to shared micro-mobility. So electric bikes are already common with operators, you know, like Lime and, and Bird and such that want to do the shared mobility, but with something bigger than a scooter, right? You know, a lot of people are more comfortable on bigger wheels, having pedals beneath them, sitting down. But... There's not a great way to carry someone with you on a bike without, you know, putting them on the handlebars or them on the seat and you standing on the pedals. So Veo is one of the first companies to come out with a two-seater electric bike. And this is actually an electric bike. You know, it doesn't have foot pegs. It has pedals. Um, it's not like the, uh, the Bird Cruiser or something where it was more of a, a scooter setup. And so you can actually pedal this thing as well as using the throttle. But it's got that long bench seat like we might see on something like a Super 73 that's designed to make the bike uh, much more comfortable for two people to ride and, and of course, much safer. So we actually just saw this unveiled in person at the Micromobility America conference last week in San Francisco. 
and it's a pretty slick looking bike. You know, for a two seater, it's still quite small. It's uh, not super heavy, and it looks like um, you know a, a nice solution to be able to carry a friend or a child with you, and you know not have to do dangerous two up riding on a standing scooter or something like that. So I think this is a a cool new trend, and and personally, I think this is the way these things need to go because being able to carry multiple people just doubles the utility of these vehicles, and it makes it that much easier to say, all right, well, let's not get a Lyft or an Uber, let's just take a you know a two seater e bike kind of thing. Yeah. So uh, specs wise, what are we looking at here? Do we need, do we even know? Do they provide information about the power? Yes. So it's got a 750 watt motor and it goes 20 miles an hour. So they've basically maxed out what they could do legally as a class two e-bike. Um, it's not going to go over that. So they didn't explore class three range, which would have allowed them to go up to 28 miles an hour. But interestingly, I thought these bikes had pedal assist as well, but it turns out that they only have throttle control. So if you pedal, it's not going to activate the motor at all. And I'm not entirely sure why they chose to go that way. The only thing I can think of is that they know most people are not going to pedal them anyways. So why put a part <laughs> that's going to break? Right. So they just put the pedals on. And I mean, I'm assuming there's probably no gears on the pedals as well. So it's it's kind of vestigial. Or vestigial. Yeah. I'm, I mean, they work. You know, you could pedal it. Let's say right. the battery was dying or something. But you know, that functional and effective are two different things. Right. And I notice uh, the seat is kind of, you know, if you're, if you got two people on there, the seat is kind of close to where the uh, pedals are. So unless you have very short legs, that's going to be kind of a hard pedal anyway. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't imagine seeing anyone realistically pedaling this thing other than a few strokes to see what it feels like. So it kind of makes sense why they didn't invest heavily in the pedal assist part of this setup. Yeah, and are those 20-inch wheels? They look a little smaller. Uh, it's a good question. I think they are, but okay. um, yeah, they don't they don't look too big, do they? No. I wonder if they're maybe just slightly smaller or something. Maybe like, uh, so, you know, width-wise, they're probably not four inches. They're, you know, maybe like a Rad Runner, two and a half inches or something. Yeah, uh, it could be sort of an odd size that you'd think they'd standardize it. Fortunately, they did go with those nice uh, mag wheels, which both look nice and will definitely be lower maintenance for them. So that was a, a nice move, I think. Yeah, I wonder if, if that's a part that we've seen before. I think uh, we were looking at Himaway or something that had a Bofang, uh mag wheel set. I wonder if that's similar. And that's not a front motor. That's uh, like a drum brake or something. Yeah, I think that's a drum break, exactly. Okay. Cool. Uh, we'll look forward to seeing more from that video. All right, moving on. Uh, the walk, is it spelled walk? Or uh, it's, I think it's, I always say walkie. I think that's okay. how they pronounce it, but it's a weird uh, spelling for sure. Yeah. All right. Walkie H6 review, the fastest, most massive folding electric bike I've ever tested. And you've tested quite a few. So let's hear about this. Yeah, so the uh, qualifier there is folding. So I've tested bigger and faster bikes, but when it comes to a folding e-bike, this is basically a bike that shouldn't even really fold. It's it's that big. It's like 90 pounds, two batteries. So uh, you see one of them there, which I think is a 48-volt, 21-amp-hour, and there's another um, either 10 or 14-amp-hour battery within the frame there. So you get 1.6 kilowatt hours of battery. Uh, it's got two seats there, though that rear one is basically a child seat because it's so low to mm -hmm. the tires and the thing is rated for 32 miles an hour 
I put my uh, GPS on it, and I only got it up to 31. But Mike, 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 that's you know close enough for uh, um, me to say that they you know are fairly honest with the speed rating. So 31 miles an hour on a 90 pound bike, that thing gets moving you know seriously fast, and it's got a lot of momentum to it. If anything, to me, this is basically like a Super 73 style motorcycle bike, just in a folding format. Mm. Um, and you know, I did fold it up and tested it that way and like yeah it folds into a smaller piece it's you know the two folding spots on the handlebars and the frame so you get it into sort of this cuboid shape but it is like a 90 pound mass of metal so don't expect to fold it up and like walk it onto the subway very easily yeah no no kidding 90 pounds that's uh hopefully you got your uh lifting belt on when you put that in the back of your car <laughs> I, I noticed uh, there's two sets of keys on there is that one for each battery yeah, exactly. Um, it would have been nice if they had keyed it alike, but um, yeah. I guess the the cheap and easy thing is to just have two different keys. Yeah, I mean, having a, a one kilowatt hour battery on the back is kind of like, I mean, it's it's basically like a bike that we've seen before, except they added a, a one kilowatt hour battery, and I think they overjuiced the the rear motor. This isn't like an uh, aerial where they have a front and back motor, which you know, with two batteries probably was tempting. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're, they're overclocking that thing. And um, in addition to that, they just, you know, they spec'd it with so many parts. If you see those brakes there, those things yeah. are like scooter discs. They're so thick. I mean, those must be like three millimeters thick where normally you're looking at like 1.8, maybe two millimeters. Um, I, I honestly think those came off of like a, a scooter or like a, a 50cc motorcycle or something. Um, it's got full suspension, not only full suspension with front and rear, but it's got a suspension seat post as well. So you could kind of call it triple suspension. It's got those yeah. mirrors. And then you got um, the, the big tires as well. So pretty flush. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's, that's part of where all that weight comes from. Like they just kept adding things and adding things and yeah. you wind up with like a lot of features, but also a very heavy bike. Did you end up uh, using the Altus uh, gear changer at all? Or is it pretty much just low gear? Oh, I uh, just lost your audio there. So, oh, uh, am I oh, back? You're back? Okay, you're back. Yeah. I was curious about the uh, the uh, the rear sprockets uh, Shimano Altus. Is that? Did you even use that, or is that? So, um, it, I basically ended up leaving it in top gear because with a bike this fast and powerful, you tend to ride it faster. Yeah. And it's you know it's nice in theory to have those gears. If I lived in a hillier area. I right. might have used them, but testing it in Florida, it basically stayed in, in top gear. You can see I almost fell over when I folded the thing. Yeah. yeah, you can just you can tell it's it's pretty heavy. I guess you could maybe take some of the weight off by pulling the battery out, but uh it's still gonna be significant, it looks like. Um Yeah, you're and, gonna be left with like seventy five pounds of bike, I think, without batteries. So was the folding mechanism like um like more reinforced because of the weight, or is it just like, you know, a typical folding mechanism. Yeah, the, the whole thing feels pretty chunky. So, you know, nothing about it felt flimsy. The folding mechanism didn't didn't worry me, which, you know, is certainly a concern after seeing that uh, Fido bike that used to uh, break in half. So, you know, especially on these bigger, heavier bikes, that's a, a good thing you want to check out. Um, you know, you make an excellent point, but here it seems like the folding mechanism is certainly overbuilt. You can also see how much of that lip just sort of overlaps there. It's quite a chunky folding mechanism yeah all right uh 
I definitely want to check this one out um, next time uh, it's available. So uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to take a look at that. Speaking of bikes being available, uh, this this post is interesting to me. I had I just had another expensive e-bike stolen. Here's what I would here's what would have stopped it. So yeah, this I I actually found out that the bike was stolen when uh, my wife texted me a picture of my broken lock where I normally Ooh. park my bike in the garage and. Like I had, if anyone's ever had their bike stolen before, you know, that like rush of like feeling violated and feeling angry and just like all of those emotions at once. So I just like came to my keyboard and I just banged out this, this post right away um, to sort of like put all that like frustration into something that would hopefully be useful. So um, I, I wrote, I think like six or seven tips here for like things that I instantly knew I had made mistakes and got lazy with locking my bike and things that. I would recommend everyone, you know, keep in mind. So the first is that I only used one lock. Well, you should always, always use more than one lock. This was in a locked parking garage to my apartment building. And so I kind of thought, well, you know, the door to the garage is locked. That's like my first lock. I'll just put a, a chain lock on the bike to, um, you know, make it easier for me each day when I, you know, unlock and ride out. But obviously that wasn't enough because someone probably just either tailgated in or the door was broken for a little while and they walked into the garage. And, you know, took some bolt cutters to my lock, which itself wasn't amazing. You know, it was a chain lock with a four spinner combination, but they just cut through the combination mechanism as opposed to the chain. And that was that. So, um, yeah, first tip, definitely use more than one lock and, and make it different types too. you know, a chain and a U-lock or something. Uh, next, park next to a nicer bike. There was like seven or eight <laughs> bikes there and mine, mine was the nicest one. So obviously if someone's got you know, their pick of the bikes at three in the morning, they're going to go for the most expensive one in the group. So I was going to say that's, like, that's like the, uh, you don't have to be faster than a bear. You just have to be faster than your friend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> philosophy. Exactly. All right. Yeah. You don't have to buy a crappy bike, but it has to be crappier than their, your neighbors. <laughs> right. So, um, so, uh, yeah, if, if you drive a civic park next to a Porsche kind of thing, right. Um, Next, I left my battery on the bike, which was basically just laziness. You know, I didn't take it upstairs each day so that it was just easier for me to come down and ride. So it's much less enticing to a thief to steal a bike without a battery because they can't resell it for as much and they have to find a battery that fits. So take your battery off if, if you can. Um, and then in the same uh, token, you know, take the whole bike inside with you if you can. Theoretically, I could have each day brought my bike into the elevator, brought it up to my uh, apartment floor. And taking it down again each morning but i was lazy i didn't do that i locked it in the parking garage and uh we all know how that story ended so take your bike inside if you can yeah um next is don't park in the same place every day i parked my e-bike in the same spot if someone was watching they could easily you know case it and see which lock i used and decide you know when to come back and bring the right tool so if you have to park you know at work every day Try parking in a different spot, you know, park a block or two away so that you have many different places and someone can't establish your routine. Um, the next one is one that I was planning to do and unfortunately didn't have a chance to do yet is to install a tracker on your bike. Um, there are GPS specific trackers, which are nice because some of them are designed to, to hide either in the bike frame or to look like a bike light or something. But I had just gotten some air tags and I was about oh, to put man. one on my bike. Yeah, it was frustrating. I'd already like I had them. I just hadn't put them on yet. And so uh, there are all these cool devices, you know, there's like bike bells, you can hide a air tag in or reflectors or water bottle holders that all have like air tag mounts. And so it's 
easy to hide it in something that a thief won't even realize is there. So consider like a $25 AirTag to protect a multi-thousand dollar e-bike. Yeah, and you know, uh, if you have a big night out and you forget where you put your bike, it also helps in that case as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or uh, if you're like parking in Amsterdam where there's thousands of bikes and you can't find it in the, which, which in the parking lot. Right. Uh, yeah. If you don't have something like this, where where's a good spot to put an air tag? Like under the seat, or you know, in a wheel well, or where where? Do yes. You, where do you recommend? So what I was planning to do was to basically tape some black duct tape and just put it under the saddle. Like uh, a savvy thief would probably look around there, but um, you know, for just like some you know drug addict that takes it in the middle of the night kind of thing, they're not like looking real carefully for air tags. So that would be the easiest place. But a lot of e-bikes have frame tubes that are so wide that you might be able to like take out your battery and like slip a an air tag into the frame somewhere. Oh yeah, um, but I wonder if that would block the Bluetooth that it uses. I, gu- I yeah, guess you'd question. have to you have to try it out once you uh, mount it, make sure it's still responding. Um, yeah. And then once, so if if you do have an air tag on your bike and somebody steals it, do you just go crazy and follow the, the thief or do you call the cops and have them write up a report and never do anything about it? What What's the uh, protocol there? Yeah. So I think the established answer is that you're supposed to call the police right. and then the, um, the generally accepted belief is that the police won't do anything, which is probably correct. And so at that point you have to decide if you're going to go all like Liam Neeson and right. you know, like I, I have a special set of skills to get my bike back kind of thing. Right. Um, you know, just maybe it's your neighbor or something and you, you go steal it back the next day or something. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and then, uh, bike insurance, huh? Yeah. That's the last thing is that, uh, there are companies that do specific electric bike insurance. They're also, you know, general purpose insurance, and it may even be covered under your homeowner's insurance, or if you have it, renter's insurance, of course I didn't have renter's insurance, so that didn't help me. Right. But if you have it, consider like, you know, putting your e-bike under your plan, especially if it's a nice one. Like this was the nicest e-bike I have, which is my priority current or mm. I had. Right. Um, you know, I think uh, when I was in college, I bought a Gary Fisher mountain bike on an American Express card and it got stolen. It's a funny story. I had it um, locked to a fence and the whole fence was gone. Like somebody just stole like 30 feet of fence somehow. Wow. I don't even know. So, uh, but I was like, oh, wait, American Express says, you know, they insure your purchases. So I ended up getting another Gary Fisher uh, from them. So that was nice. I wouldn't, I don't oh, know if awesome. American Express still does that kind of stuff. But maybe when you're buying an e-bike, check out those options for your credit card. I think Chase has something similar to that. Yeah, that's amazing. They stole an entire fence to get your bike. Yeah, I think they just I mean, do it in, in a truck or something. Yeah, I've heard of uh, cases where uh, guys will pull up to a bike rack, like in New York, where there's like, you know, 20 bikes on it, and they'll just connect it to a pickup truck and drive off and rip the bike rack out of the ground, and then yeah. throw the whole thing in a in the back. New York is kind of crazy. Um, we, I mean, they have locks called like New York locks that, you know, yeah. obviously get worked over by New York folks as well. But um, they have just the technology, like they have, they freeze the locks, and then they hammer it open, or they... Um, they have like, you know, full on jaws of life, like they're going to get your bike one way or another. So, you know, it's kind of a shame because New York would be such a a much better city if everybody was riding bikes. Um, 
So I don't know what you do about it. I think maybe better cops would be helpful. Uh, one time at, at NYU, I got my bike stolen right in front of a security. Like I had locked it maybe five feet in front of a security guard, like a security guard uh, desk. at uh, And the bike was gone. And I went to the security guard. I was like, hey, did somebody, you know, break a lock here? And he was like, I don't know. Just <laughs> like literally, you know, he would have to have seen it happen. And, you know, frankly, he probably was in on it. But uh you know new york is just not a safe place for bikes unfortunately it's too bad so you know perhaps consider some of these other mechanisms like air tags or or don't you know take it up to your apartment yeah. all right well the um the if you go into the comments real quick the uh the top comment i think was someone saying that the um the punishment for horse thievery used to be hanging not that i condone it but <laughs> when there were bigger uh when there were bigger punishments um you know, oh, wow. there was fewer, fewer uh, horse theft. So, just a, just an option there, is <laughs> to raise the the punishment for her, uh, bike thieves. Yeah, I would I would say that uh, I I feel bad for you, but knowing how many e bikes uh, go through your hands on a weekly, monthly, yearly basis, I probably feel a lot worse for somebody else who, uh, you know, this is probably their only bike. Uh, so I do feel bad for you, but just not as bad as I would feel for somebody. Yeah, and I, I get that. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, this U.S.-made 2.5-kilowatt electric bicycle motor claims the highest power-to-weight ratio in the world. The OptiBike PowerStorm MBB, or Motorized Bottom Bracket. And this thing is kind of wild. It's a 1,500-watt continuous but 2,500-watt peak-rated motor. And it's designed to basically be the bottom bracket of the bike. So similar to the way that, you know, like a, a Broza or a Bosch motor uh, slots in there, though this one is actually round and kind of looks like a bottom bracket. But uh, this thing is just like insanely powerful. And the cool thing is that it's actually been developed and produced in the U.S. It's from a company called OptiBike, which um, we talked about a few weeks ago, I believe, that they're, they're based and building bikes since, I want to say like the late 2000s so like maybe like 2009 10 something like that um, and they've just got you know a ton of experience they they build really expensive electric mountain bikes but they're very high quality so they developed this thing that's basically designed purely for off-roading right like this is obviously well over the 750 watt limit for our uh, standard bike, uh, electric bicycle classes in the U.S. So don't think that this is something you're going to be flying down the bike lane in. This is for someone who wants to go overlanding, explore trails, uh, perhaps blaze their own trails, and do it all on a bike that you can actually pedal. And, you know, at first when I saw this, I was like, all right, well, at that point, why not get a dirt bike? But at the same time, I, I definitely see a lot of advantages here because unlike a, a loud, heavy, expensive dirt bike, I guess this is still expensive, but unlike a loud and heavy dirt bike, this is much lighter. You can actually get the feeling of riding a bike because you are pedaling it. And depending on the power output, you can still get a decent workout as well. But you don't feel like you have this big, heavy machine. You're on what's you know a much lighter, much more nimble bicycle feeling type of ride. And that's really kind of the goal here was to create a, a lightweight motor that packed in a, a ton of power. And this is I think eight and a half or so pounds, which is, you know, considering the um, three and a half horsepower or something you get out of this thing is just 
like mind blowing how much power you get in something that fits in the palm of your hand. Yeah. So what's the total weight of the bike? Um, so it goes on a few different bikes. This one, I think it's on their um, R22 bike, which is probably like 120 pounds or something. Uh, but oh, that wow. one comes with like three kilowatt hours of battery. So right. um, I think they also have it on some of their, their bikes that don't have such ridiculous amounts of battery. And so uh, you could certainly get this on a bike that weighs less than 100 pounds. Yeah, and uh, we should caveat this. Um, Luna makes a crazy uh, X2 ludicrous controller that takes a um, one of their VVHSD uh, uh, or, or M600 uh, motor and overclocks it to up to 2.5 kilowatts. And they don't have an insane battery on there. I think it's only like 800 kilowatt hours, or sorry, watt hours. So that technically is probably a lighter bike that goes up to 2.5 uh kilowatts but it's not it's it's kind of a hack and um we'll have the review on that soon but it's it's not really uh a long-term solution to 2.5 it's more like uh in a in a pinch when you need a lot of power it's got it but um it'll overheat really quickly if you keep it at that kind of high output um, this is actually kind of interesting. I noticed, um, is there like a gear ratio in here or is it just used to slow, uh, like it's, a, yeah, it's a, a slow okay. RPM? No, thank you. It's a good question. Um, I think that it, it doesn't actually have a, a gear reduction in there. Um, it looks like it's a direct drive motor, but I'm not, I'm not positive. Um, you know, there, there could be a lot going on in there that, that I don't know because I haven't seen the inside of it. Yeah, but it does but, look um, like a regular motor, just direct. Yeah, and so it could be that it's just incredibly torquey, uh, designed for low RPM. Yeah. But um, you, you can bet that the OptiBike engineers put some serious engineering into that thing. Yeah, I was going to say, if that's if this is possible, like that, that kind of changes the game a little bit because then you don't have to deal with the gears and it's going to be much quieter, much, uh, you know, it's... Like what usually breaks in a motor is the either the belt if it's like a Broza or the you know the vinyl gears and and Bosch bikes and other bikes. So if this is a direct drive, that's that's another game changer, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it looks very impressive. So you know, hats off to uh, the OptiBike team because they've really designed something uh, quite nice here. And the fact that they sort of started from the ground up and you know it's not a a hodgepodge of parts, but it's really their own. Uh, unique product is pretty neat. Something we don't see that often in the e-bike industry. Yeah. Uh, so are we going to get a review of this one? That I'm not sure about. Um, I wouldn't hold your breath, but if we can, I'll I'll have them send it up to uh, uh, Croton there. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, we're back to Harley Davidson uh, to reopen the Del Mar Electric motorcycle reservations after the first round sold out. Yeah, so now we're going up a little bit in the weight class here. We're, we're up to like real motorcycles now as opposed to e-bikes that are almost motorcycles. Uh, as we talked about a bit before, you know, Livewire is Harley-Davidson's electric sub-brand. And the Del Mar is technically their second model of electric motorcycle, but really it's their first in-hattle after they inherited the Livewire 1 from Harley. And so there's been a lot of excitement about this launch. It's a... A uh, somewhat smaller, somewhat uh, lower performance bike, but only slightly. You know, it should get up to close to 100 miles an hour. Uh, has a smaller battery, so they're talking about 100 miles of city range. 
And really that's, you know, the kind of riding it's designed for. Certainly you can take it on a highway, but your range is going to suffer. So um, they released it earlier this year, I think in May, and the first hundred units of the launch edition sold out in 18 minutes. And ever since people have been like, you know, champing at the bit to, to get the next uh, edition that isn't that uh, more expensive $18,000 launch edition. So now they're going to open up orders to what I believe is going to be a $15 uh, like normal series of the Delmar. And this is going to be the first bike from Harley or uh, rather Livewire that is actually designed as more of a mass market bike as opposed to the Livewire 1, which was really designed to be a flagship motorcycle and to sort of show off the, the engineering prowess of, of Harley-Davidson. One of the big differences here is the uh, powertrain. So whereas the Livewire had that revelation motor, which was super sophisticated, but also super expensive, it um, ran longitudinally down the bike and then had a 90 degree bevel gear to uh, turn the output to actually line up at the rear wheel. This one goes with the much more common uh, zero motorcycle style um, coaxial, or not coaxial, but I guess a uh, parallel axis motor that uh, just uses a simple one um, one reduction belt drive to to drop it down to that uh, final gear ratio. So you know, much simpler, much more tried and true, and it helps bring the price of the bike down too to something that hopefully Livewire can actually you know still make a profit on and and sustain themselves. But at fifteen thousand dollars, we're talking about a bike that more you know average folks can see themselves buying, even if it's you know a bit pricey. Yeah, I, th I think the look of this is is really interesting. I I would almost say it kind of looks cooler than the uh, the original Livewire. Um, I like the uh, the I don't know what you call those uh, on the battery, but is is that functional as well? Like for cooling, uh, the, uh, the ribs, I guess you would say, or what is that? Yeah, the those are the uh, cooling fins for the battery, and the battery uh -huh. is actually a really interesting part of this design because it replaces a frame you might realize that if you sort of look around the bike there's no like frame anywhere that's mm -hmm. because it doesn't have one like the uh the live wire had that um cast aluminum trellis frame this one uses a structural battery pack which we've seen you know in tesla and other places moving to so this structural battery pack um, both houses that battery it's got the cooling fins built in and it um, has mounting points for the rear swing arm and for the uh, front uh, head tube. So it's basically the entire chassis as well as the, the battery housing. That's cool. And that, is that the controller down there at the bottom? Maybe I'm just used to uh, e-bikes doing this, but um, I noticed like right at the bottom, there's kind of an, a, an external box. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the controller, though I'm not positive. Um, that's the place where uh, Zero mounts the controller on their bikes. And so mm -hmm. it's it's a pretty common spot but uh, I'm not positive that's the controller or the charger. That's cool. It's at least it's easy to get to, although you might kick a rock up right through that thing. So pluses and minuses. Um, our own uh, Zach Hall, I believe, is one of the uh, first hundred, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and but and I know that you're also slated to get a ride on one of these. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, to test this one out. So uh, Zach might be uh, getting one. Uh, before me to own, but I think I'll get to sit on one first. Oh, cool. All right. I think we have one more post today. All right. Weird Alibaba. Check out this. I think this. we had one before Oop. that, actually. The Oop, zero. I might, have, I might have skipped. Sorry. 
Got oh, yeah, excited for the Alibaba. Yeah. Zero DSRX launched as world's first long range electric adventure motorcycle. Yeah, so Zero just launched a new version of their um, basically uses the the SRF and SRS's uh, design, though it's a stretched frame, it's a little more robust, and they've turned it into an adventure bike. So I actually had a chance to test this one out a few weeks ago in uh, Park City, Utah. And man, this, this bike is a lot of fun. It's got their new biggest battery. I think it's uh, 17 kilowatt hours. And it's rated for um, what's interesting. So it gets a, I think it's like 180 mile city range and something like an 80 or 90 mile highway range. But huh. neither of those ranges really apply here because the bike is designed for off-road adventure riding. And so there's no... Uh, industry standard for off-road range measurement. There's only on-road range measurement. So what they did was like they did the typical like highway city um, test cycles, but then they went out and they had uh, their professional riders do a lot of adventure riding on trails. And what they found was that you basically get uh, between five to thirteen hours of runtime, depending how aggressively you're riding. And mm. So. Uh, in my case, I did, I think, about um, uh, 60 miles of mixed uh, highway adventure and a bit of city, and I used about a third of the battery. So for me, that equates to about 180-mile range um, with that kind of mixed riding. But uh, what's interesting is that when you're doing this kind of adventure riding, you're usually going slower than you think. And you know, we were averaging probably around... Uh, 20 miles an hour or so because when you're off-road everything feels faster but you're not really going that fast because you're constantly slowing down you're you know taking tight turns that sort of thing and so you're effectively doing closer to city range because you're doing around city speeds now you're, you might be in terrain that's a little uh, less forgiving but you know if you're doing 20 miles an hour that's usually slower than you're going in a city so that kind of makes up for it what they find is that if you're you know, a more aggressive adventure rider, you'll do a little bit worse than city range. If you're less aggressive, like I'm definitely a less aggressive rider, then you're probably going to do better than the city range of 180 miles. So that's sort of a an interesting take there because there just aren't that many off-road or adventure style electric motorcycles out there yet to really get a good range comparison. Yeah, and I'm always surprised at the disparity in city driving range and highway driving range. Like, I guess there's just no real way to make, you know, besides crouching down like, you know, Top Gun or whatever, um, to get good aerodynamics on a bike. So the difference here is 80 miles on the highway and almost 200 miles in the city. Yeah. And, and the big uh, effect there is the meat sale sitting on top of the bike. Right. Like you said, like you, you got to tuck down. And it's interesting because when you do the um, range testing, it stipulates that uh, you're not allowed to be in a tuck. You have to be in an upright riding right. position. And so the um, between the SRF and the SRS, which are their Street Fighter and then their like fully fared aerodynamic bike, they both basically have the same range officially. But that's because they couldn't like crouch behind the windshield on the SRS, which is designed to make it more aerodynamic. So you can actually get about 10% more range on that bike when you ride it in an aerodynamic fashion but they just weren't allowed to do that for range testing yeah and it's it's strange because uh you know these bikes on a per kilowatt hour basis don't even get as good a highway mileage as like super aerodynamic cars and you know when you think about a bike being a you know very small light comparatively um you know a small footprint 
in terms of aerodynamic profile and it's still you know it still gets worse mileage per kilowatt it's it's just kind of blows my mind i still don't quite understand how uh and you know i I know the answer i know it's like the meat sale thing but it's still surprising to me yeah well it's, it's interesting when you look at the efficiency versus speed because at city ranges you know bikes are, are super efficient compared to cars because right. the biggest uh, advantage is that they just weigh less so you're moving less around but right. like you said oh, when you get sorry. up to highway speed oh man it like it starts to reach parity and in some cases you could actually do better in a car in terms of efficiency if you're going fast enough yeah especially with super aerodynamic cars like priuses and teslas and stuff yeah all right you now yeah yeah so now it's time for the Weird Alibaba. Check out this $1,100 street legal with quotes, three-wheeled electric flatbed truck. Uh, and our, our great uh, illustrator, uh, Michael Bauer, has, uh, for those just listening, an uh, interesting pizza uh, illustration here. Yeah, I think a flatbed truck is not the best pizza delivery vehicle um, for the same aerodynamic reasons that motorcycles right. don't get great range. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, this is the, the street legal is kind of a tease here. The, the product is, is called a street legal, uh, electric vehicle, but that must be in China only because I don't know where in the world this thing is going to be street legal. It, um, it's a tricycle, which means in the U S it would technically be a motorcycle class vehicle and nothing about this looks legal for, for U S roads. That's for sure. I don't know about Europe, but typically they have pretty strict regulations as well. Maybe on camp- if we, campus roads or something. There you go. Like for utility, I can see it. Like if you forget about street legal for a moment, this thing looks like, you know, so useful for so many jobs. I mean, a flatbed truck, you can load anything on this. Uh, though some people like to call these trucklets because they're kind of smaller than you'd think of a, a typical flatbed truck. Um, as a tricycle, you know, it's, it's open, you just hop on, hop off. You're not going to be going faster than like, you know, 20, 25 miles an hour. So you probably don't have to worry about tipping as long as you're, you know, don't take those turns too tightly. And of course, the thing is just super cheap, 1100 bucks before batteries. But I mean, you don't have to put too much battery in something this small. You could put a few kilowatt hours and use it for like a campus, like you said, or, um, you know, you see these sometimes around like uh, stadiums for that kind of work. Um trash collectors, basically like anything in a, in a small area, municipal vehicles, this thing would be kind of perfect. And it's also got that, uh, like fun Soviet era, lack of design design that I love so much. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say it, it does have like a Soviet era. I, I don't know how they did it, but it, it looks like the, the picture looks like it's old. Like it looks like <laughs> they somehow brought it back from like 30 years ago or something. Yeah, it's got that kind of like um, North Korea esque yeah. design to it. Yeah, it's like uh, I don't know. It was like they recycled parts or something from somewhere else. But like you know, all, all kidding aside, this you're right. This is like an incredibly useful type of vehicle. Um, where where it would be acceptable in the U.S. is probably a bigger question. But uh, you know, in in maybe the North Korean embassy or something like that that would be a great place for something like this (laughs) yeah well we'll we'll hold out hope that we'll see these riding around somewhere because as as silly as they are there's a lot of usefulness hidden here 
All right. So that's it for today. I was just scanning over the comments. There's not much there. Uh, Christopher A, uh, shout out from Peaks Hill. So he's my neighbor to the north. That's cool. Um, not much else specific. Uh, Candace M was hit by a car with a brand new e-bike in April and surprised every, everybody that I lived after seeing the accident, but didn't remember ending up in a hospital. Truly glad it was a cheap hyper e-bike. I'm glad. I'm glad you're alive, Candace. Uh, thanks for coming to the show. Yeah. Hope you uh, healed up quickly. Looks like back in April. So hopefully you're doing well now. Uh, so I think that's, uh, that's it for our comments. So uh, thank you guys, everyone for tuning in and we will be back in another two weeks for the latest edition of the 